Hi everyone, this is your host, Julia Glotz. Welcome back to eFundamentals Digital Shelfcast, where we discuss how growth-driven CPGs can win in e-commerce at speed and scale. Every episode, I'm speaking with industry experts about the latest trends and challenges on the digital shelf and how you can accelerate your growth online. Make sure you subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of our inside-packed episodes. Thanks for spending time with me today. Let's jump straight in. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast. It's good to have you with us. If you are like 99.9% of CPGs, then you are probably thinking about digital transformation in one form or another. It's one of those terms that's been part of company strategy documents and roadmaps for a very long time, but it remains an area where many organizations find it difficult to make tangible progress and an area that is prone to misconceptions and missteps. In fact, CPG is consistently named as an industry that lags other sectors on digital transformation. So what does it take to get this right and how can CPGs achieve a successful digital transformation? To answer this question, I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast someone who has extensive experience of leading on digital transformation at several large CPG organizations. It's Todd Hassenfeld, e-commerce director for growth strategy and planning at Colgate Palmolive. Hello, Todd. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Julia. I'm really happy to be back. And you know the drill. Before we dive into our discussion, we always like to quiz our guests a little bit on their own online shopping habits. So tell me about the last item you bought online and why you bought it. Interesting timing. I actually bought some fire safety blankets from Amazon. Wow. Um, my, my wife and I are getting ready. Uh, we have two young sons, Alex and Jake. They're seven and four. So we're going to get ready to do some fire safety drills, right? Being responsible parents. So, you know, we've taught them to be safe, you know, since they could learn how to talk. And now we're trying to teach them really how to be prepared for the unexpected. So the shopping experience, you know, that side of it, very easy. Not sure how the fire safety drills will go with the kids, so uh, more to come on that. I, I will say, though, not to keep it just online, curbside has become such a big part of our routine, right? More for groceries and and kind of middle-of-the-store items. And, you know, Target and Walgreens curbside pickups have just been really fast and easy. So happy to see how that's developing because I think that's a uh, a trend that will continue for a lot of consumers. You know, we thought the last two years were going to be eventful, but it's not slowing down anytime soon. Not at all. Now, Todd, before we dive into the nitty gritty of digital transformation, I thought it might be quite useful actually for us to take a step back and just clarify what we actually mean by digital transformation, because it is one of those terms that gets used in lots of different contexts and not everyone uses it to mean the exact same thing. So when we talk about digital transformation here on the Digital Shelfcast and when you talk about digital transformation for CPGs, how do you define what that actually means? Yeah, this is a term that you ask 10 different people, you may get 10 different answers. I'll give you a couple, what we'll call them more maybe industry ones that, that I like, uh, and then kind of an analogy. And I think one of the first ones I like is from a group called the Enterprisers Project, and they define digital transformation as the integration of digital technology into all areas of the business fundamentally changing how you operate and deliver value to customers and consumers, which I think is important. They also say, though, it's a cultural change internally Yeah, that requires organizations to continually challenge the status quo, experiment, 
and get comfortable with failure. And I think that's a key one that, you know, probably talk about a little bit later. So that's one from Enterprisers Project. Then there's another one that's more of a framework from BCG. And really just the five quick ones there are implementing outcomes, managing talent and building digital skills, transforming ways of working in your operating model, you know, drive technology transformation, and govern for value, which is really around fast and simplified decision-making. So those are kind of some of the, you know, say, industry ones that that a lot of, you know, you can give to your C-suite or, or to the board. I think of one as you kind of explained it to a lot of people, though, is digital transformation is, is kind of like a digital treadmill. You're constantly moving. <laughs> some days the pace might be faster than you're comfortable with or others. You know, other days it may feel like you're moving too slow compared to your competition next to you. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's all about keep moving forward and don't fall off. So just just a few different ways for the audience to kind of think about this. Yeah, I like this image of the of the digital treadmill. I have a feeling that probably resonates quite a bit with a, a lot of how many people <laughs> feel about um, actually having to manage digital transformation uh, on a day to day basis. But but Todd, I mentioned in the intro that digital transformation has been on the roadmap for CPGs for for quite some time. But the reason we're talking about it today is because it has gained added urgency as a result of the pandemic and the shift to online buying. Could you just spell out for us? how grocery has changed over the past couple of years and why that has made digital transformation an even bigger priority for CPGs. Yeah, I think it's a race that everyone is in now, whether they wanted to or not, right? And and a lot of that is because of COVID, but the, the main reason is because of the consumer, right? The adoption of online ordering, especially in the grocery space, that was not anticipated uh, at that level for at least a few more years. I think, though, when you think of like a work study, you know, they say 41% of shoppers prefer a mix of in-store and online shopping, right? So that's a high number. While the percent of business, it accelerated during COVID, uh, but still the majority of business is done in-store. But when you think about that kind of in-store and online perspective, um, it's a reason why CPGs have to focus on it. And then another number is just the overall omni-channel shopper, that one that, you know, shops in-store and online, spends more than just an in-store shopper or just an online shopper. So that's a key stat there that CPGs, you know, if they're smart and savvy, are looking at and knowing that they have to be there uh, in both spots. And I think, you know, there was, you know, going back to BCG, there was a survey they did that said, you know, 80% of digital was helping them get through the economic slowdown with everything going on right now. So I think digital transformation, this race, you know, it has real consequences for brands if you don't execute or don't prioritize the right initiatives, right? Because it's not just about your direct online sales, but those digitally influenced sales, which you know most studies have at around 62%. I know that's tough to measure perfectly, but that's kind of the common one out there. So going back to that consumer thinking about them, you know, the consumer experience is really at stake here. So how do you have compelling content that connects and converts people versus confusing them? How do you responsibly personalize the experience? You know, the consumer always also wants convenience. And this isn't just a necessarily, you know, COVID digital transformation thing. Think about the changes in the, in the past number of years, you know, online banking versus going into a bank branch, watching shows or movies on a cell phone, a tiny screen anywhere versus your big screen TV at home that people were doing. Uh, you can do both now. Or, you know, a fun one is just the explosion of quick commerce and, and a lot to go on that story. But, you know, think about convenience, like 
quick commerce has taken the place of going to a convenience store or a fast food drive through um, Maybe concerning on how uh, maybe lazy we're getting as a society, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, consumers always choose convenience, right? That's kind of the, the piece you have to think of. And going back to, you know, kind of where the brands, you know, brands need to be where the consumers are, it's not necessarily a linear traditional marketing funnel anymore, right? There's there's something I saw on LinkedIn from Harry Joyner, a great one I liked was SAFA, S-A-F-A, you know, having that mindset that the consumer starts anywhere and finishes anywhere. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I, I love it. And it really resonated with me. And I think it's it's a great way of explaining this to anyone, no matter where they are in their digital journey. And then you think about competition, you know, digitally native brands, right? The barrier of entry for them is so much lower than the legacy process in the past. So now an effective strategy is launch your D2C, do very well with targeting and retention, then get onto a marketplace like Amazon. And based on those sales and real data to go to now a big in-store, whether it's Target, Costco, uh, Walmart, et cetera, and show them that great performance, now you're getting onto brick and mortar shelves. So you know, when you think about digitally native brands for a large brand now, what's the impact? Well, you have to shorten your innovation stage gate process. You have to do more small batch innovations on your D2C site more often and just be faster in really everything you do. And I think I, I really like the point you make about how it's not just about your e-com sales. It's not just about how much you are currently selling online. It's a much wider picture because so much is now digitally influenced. How do you at Colgate Palmolive think about that? And how do you think about digital transformation? Where are you on that journey? And what are your big priorities for, for this year? Yeah, it's a fun one, you know, kind of how we think about to that point, you know, we're, we think about like digital at the core uh, and, and what are some of the pillars of that? Well, it's like technology, process and people, you know, so technology helps us with our consumer journeys, you know, media optimization, you know, processes are talking about, you know, that speed and agility that we need thinking about things from an omni-channel perspective, um, which does create new ways of working, right? Silos have to be broken down. And then probably the most important one is the people, right? Investing in people from you know both an education standpoint, from external recruiting, from internal retention, and just having that culture mindset of you know really digital at the core. You know where are we in it? You know it's always fun to benchmark, right? Uh, I think one of our you know one of our values internally is you know a con continuous improvement, right? And have that kind of mindset. But thankfully, we have. You know, we're moving fast with great support from our leadership, which I think is key. And at least one benchmark that's out there from Gartner did rank us second in terms of digital IQ. So, you know, we were just behind L'Oreal. So I think that is something that we're proud of, but not going to get complacent. You know, how are we doing this? You know, talked about the consumer. It's about frictionless commerce, right? How do you make it easy for the consumer, again, to decide what, right, start anywhere, finish anywhere, but whether that's, you know, on search, social, live streaming, ratings, reviews, brick and mortar, all these different ways, how do you make the experience frictionless for them? And then thinking about like that digital media I talked about, you know, it's a variation of, of a more of a traditional look, but, you know, right place, right price, right person, right delivery. So are we buying quality inventory, right? Are we managing cost right? You know, optimizing for incremental targets and really managing reach and frequency well. And if we do that, well, then we can be excellent in search and social and have compelling content that's appropriate for the different channels that are out there, right? And engage new users via social in different ways. I think a fun one we had, uh, if the audience hasn't seen it yet, 
uh, and one that wasn't planned, kind of like the ocean spray TikTok piece, right? Uh, there was a, a question by some people on TikTok about how does uh, Colgate toothpaste have stripes, right? And we responded quickly on TikTok in an entertaining way. So I encourage people to check it out. But this is what brands need to do is read and react. Sometimes your campaign or or what's trending wasn't planned, right? And and how do you react? And then, yeah, I think just some of the last ones, you know, connecting the dots here is, you know, when you think about like from a digital commerce standpoint, you know, how do you make sure your digital shelf is as important as your offline shelf that you've always looked at from Planogram standpoint and really mastering, you know, kind of like brilliant basics. And if you do those things, all the things I've mentioned here, well, then you can, you know, have a brand experience planning session where it's end to end, you know, de-siloed based on, you know, decisions are based on data. That is really exciting time, right? Because now you have this holistic view. So as we look at kind of digital transformation, it's those kind of factors. I absolutely love it. And there's so much in there that I'm going to want to quiz you on in a little bit more detail. I'm certainly going to check out that TikTok video. But um, we've we've talked a bit of, about the big picture so far and, you know, why digital transformation is important at that higher level. I'm really interested in how you actually translate that big picture, that big vision into the day-to-day and how you engage your colleagues, how you engage your senior leadership team on the day-to-day of digital transformation? What is your guiding philosophy there? How do you feature that in your daily interactions? Yeah, a couple. I mean, I think one is, you know, it, it, different themes or, or thoughts. And, you know, one is the, the word fidgetal, right? Think, you know, from a physical lens and digital, right? So we, we didn't create that, but but embrace it. I think overall, though, you for this you have to make the complex simple, right? Mm -hmm. How do you take all these different ideas, all these different data points and simplify it to a way that is a balance of getting the right point across, but not also missing things that should be focused on that maybe weren't in the past. So I I think that comes around to like, you know, connecting dots for people, Mm. right? Um, How can you show an example of the benefits of like one connected team, you know, especially from a planning approach? And, And that goes from, and this isn't all of them, but right, like from brand to performance marketing, to sales, to digital commerce, to finance, supply chain, legal, social, customer service, all and more, right? These cannot be in silos anymore. You have to think about it as one connected team. Talked about benchmarking. I think that's a key one, especially when you're talking to senior leaders. Sometimes you can get too focused on what's going on inside the walls of the company per yeah. se, but how do you benchmark both, both good and bad, right? Internally, how do you share learning and training opportunities, right? Especially for us, like a global team, different parts of, of the globe are, are in different spaces in different parts, right? Whether it's quick commerce, live streaming, uh, retail media. So how do we kind of accelerate the learning curve for the areas that haven't experienced as much with the ones that have? I think one one that's tough is, <laughs> not tough, but it's just repeating the same message for clarity and awareness, right? I think I learned this all the way back at Glambia, but it, you know, you, you, you do sound like a broken record to yourself, but it does matter, right? I think they say you have to say something 10 times before it kind of sinks in. And so, you know, being okay with doing that. And that means finding multiple ways of connecting with people, right? Mm. Some people like written, some people like verbal, some people like audio, but that can be group meetings. You know, that can be one-on-one settings. End of the day, you know, as an e-com or digital leader, build your advocates over time to help amplify your message, whether you're in the room or the Zoom box, wherever we are nowadays virtually, to really build those advocates. 
but you also have to be educated yourself so that you're ready, like in any meeting, whether it was planned or not, to kind of solve a problem, maybe with a digital solution. And that includes seeing things from a non-digital initiative point of view, right? This isn't only about the online stuff, is how do you understand the brick and mortar team? How do you understand how this connects? And then, you know, I think it's, it's about tracking your progress and success. You can talk all day, but you have to do some tracking as well. Now there's gonna be a balance to that, but how do you really show the things that you've invested in, whether it's time and money that are working? And I think there's one quote that I like, it's kind of a summary from Harriet Tubman, but you need to have the strength the patience and the passion to change the world. And I think when you think about those three, right, you have to be strong in kind of your confidence. You have to be patient because not everyone's at the same spot and you're behind sometimes as well, but you have to have it with passion, right? Those are the strength and patience take a lot out of you. So if you have a lot of passion, people recognize that and it's kind of contagious if you do it right. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. And I guess part of it is also just managing overwhelm. Because as you said, when we've talked about the definition of digital transformation and some of the examples you gave, I mean, it only requires changing absolutely every single part of your organization and completely, <laughs> you know, changing your thinking. Um, so very easy to do. So there can sometimes be that sense that there is so much to do, you don't even know where to start. So as you said, breaking things down and showing clear next steps must be so important in that process. It is, and that can mean different things for different teams, right? And that's where the connecting the dots comes into play mm. because that simplification may mean something different for your supply chain team than necessarily your your sales team or customer development team, right? Um, it may mean something from your consumer affairs or customer service team than it does your brand team. So it's kind of like being a conductor, right? Um, mm. you, you have to navigate all the different instruments, but they they all have to play the same song, maybe at different times or in different ways. But that's why it's so important to have that patience and strength and, and kind of passion to, to work through that. Because you're right, it is uh, takes a lot of energy. Totally. You've also touched on metrics and benchmarks a few times. And you mentioned the, the Gartner external benchmark, the, the digital IQ, but also just the importance of figuring out what, internal and external benchmarks are actually going to drive the right change and the right outcomes, are going to be motivating to the right people. What metrics and benchmarks have you found particularly useful in that regard? And are there any metrics or opportunities for benchmarking that you think CPGs should perhaps be paying more attention to? Yeah, I'll start you know, with some of the the bigger ones that are out there. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's, you know, it depends on your organizational needs, right? Or maybe you already have a partnership, but you think of, you know, I mentioned BCG, Gartner, McKinsey, uh, you know, Gartner and, and others. So those are ones maybe people are more familiar with, at least for the U.S. audience, I will say that there is a great study that was done late last year by Cadent and, and Winsight Grocery Business, uh, and they call it their digital icon study. And it was really in the CPG space, you know, surveying retailers, brands, and consumers. So kind of a three-pronged approach, which is which mm. is fantastic, right? Especially the consumer piece. And it looked at five key areas that were around, you know, digital advertising, social media and influencer marketing, the user experience, your D2C. And then one I really liked is, it, you know, I liked all of them, but this one, you know, manufacturer collaboration on digital. So kind of thinking about your oh. digital negotiation, right? Which I think is so important. So just quickly, like, you know, what were some of the overall themes from this? They came up with a C3 plus B equation. And it really said that, hey, the, the digital icon leaders, and these were, what was interesting is both 
large brands, but also challenger brands, right? Uh, in, a, in a pretty almost a 50-50 split. But though that C3 plus B was collaboration, creativity, consistency, and boldness. So it's an interesting study to take a look at. And maybe, you know, depending on the, you know, who, who's in there, you might see your, um, your brand on there or, or not. Uh, and you can ask them where, where you stood if you're not in the top 10. But I think, you know, with all these studies, brands, you know, should be able to benchmark their progress. I think when you look at like specific metrics, though, like from a, from a day-to-day mm-hmm. perspective, you know, and it's not just because the name of the, the podcast, but the digital shelf I've talked about is so important, right? And how do you make sure that you have metrics to focus on in stock rates, right? Your content, mm-hmm. ratings and reviews. I think all those things are so critical to really, you know, get the organization wrapped around a common focus because it impacts so many parts of the business, right? Out of stock supply chain, et cetera, you know, creative with your, with your content. So when you think about that, it's, it's really critical spend, right? A lot of, a lot of money issues uh, right now in so many different ways. So how efficient are you with your spend? Like it's not good enough just to say, oh, we're increasing our spend year over year. That's, that's partially good, but how efficient and effective is your media spend, right? And how, like when you look at budget fluidity, meaning how fast can you react either within a retailer or across many retailers? And of course, JBPs come into play there. So I think that budget fluidity and your spend efficiency are critical. You know, I've talked about the consumer, you know, kind of the voice of the consumer. So ratings and reviews, social listening. But that consumer affairs team or customer service team, whatever it's called in, in your organization, are so important. If you're mm-hmm. not talking with them already, work with them, learn from them, you know, see if you can shadow their, their job, right? Listen to either calls coming in or reading the, the messages coming in from all the different sources. You know, your content, let's not forget about blogs and emails. Do you have a way to measure that? Like, what are people's sentiment to your content? And you can't, it's, it's not enough just to do like how many people signed up for the newsletter or bounce rates, because that's really looking at the extremes, right? New people or people on the way out. But how about the people in the middle? Like, do you know which content pieces are resonating with both new and existing fans? And I think just the last one, you know, there's so many things here, but communicate informally with people, right? Like, how can you see how things are going and be ready for feedback that's both good and, and maybe not so good? But I think that's how you really learn and can have really productive conversations with people. Hey, while we're taking a quick break, Chloe from eFundamentals has got something we wanted to tell you. Here's a question for you. Are you drowning in data about your e-commerce performance, but not sure what to do with it? Do you really know what's impacting your online sales growth across major retailers? If you've answered yes, you need to check out eFundamentals right now. They provide you with all the digital shelf analytics you need to achieve e-commerce success at speed and scale. eFundamentals takes everything that is fundamentally important to driving e-commerce performance and displays it in one easy-to-use platform that breaks down the key performance areas that help you and your team stay totally focused. Combined with industry-leading human insights from experienced CPGs, our customer success team get you up and running quickly with no setup costs and act as your partner to unlock repeatable growth year after year. Plus, it gives you a full category view so you can benchmark your category performance across retailers and see immediately when your competitors make a move, empowering your frontline teams to act with a level of category intelligence no other platform can offer. It's no surprise, clients see an average ROI of 12 times using their service. 
After all, eFundamentals was built by experienced CPGs who know exactly what's needed to drive performance today. Head to eFundamentals.com slash podcast today and see it in action for yourself. Trust me, you need eFundamentals. You've also talked about the need for speed a couple of times already, just making sure that CPGs are able in terms of their organizational structures and their workflows to make decisions at pace. And I know one of your favorite quotes is change has never happened this fast before and it will never be this slow again. Talk to me a little bit about why you think speed is so important and in particular, why it's important in the context of digital transformation. Yeah, I mean, I love that quote because it really kind of catches people, right? It caught me when I first saw it. I, I had it at a screensaver at a past it's job, great. actually, right? But I mean, there's a number of stats out there from companies, right? And, and McKinsey said it, you know, that companies will need to adapt fast because of what COVID, how it accelerated the digital consumer. So again, kind of looking at those studies, the benchmark, but when you think about specifically for your organization, why the need for speed is so important, you know, it's really speed and agility, right? And I think the top top thing is decision-making. How do you eliminate the minutiae? You know, don't overthink mm. things that really don't have the benefit of the extra time, right? So it's a balance of due diligence, but not, you know, trying to go from A to A plus, right? And I would even say B plus is good enough. Speed of learning. We've talked about how much things are out there, but how do you make sure that you're learning to keep up to see the bigger picture? And what does that help you with? Well, evaluating options, right? These are all sometimes penny stocks and you need to know where to invest and where not to invest or how much even to invest, whether it's time or money. And you think about just in the last few years, what has exploded, right? Well, retail media is the obvious one, mm. but voice is still out there lingering. Some some year voice will be big, right? Uh, <laughs> SMS, and I'm a, I'm a big voice fan. Uh, SMS is out there with text messaging. And then, oh, these these kind of maybe shiny toys or something we should be thinking about, like blockchain, NFTs, and metaverse, right? Mm. And these are just some of them. So there's mentalities out there, like how do you get more people to embrace it? And it doesn't have to be a full, full-on embrace necessarily for all of them, but you just want to make sure people aren't ignoring them either and, and don't have a reason why they're not looking at it. I think speed, though, you know, we talked about spend a little bit, and let's you know tie that into retail media. Like, if you don't have a really quick way of looking at your spend, you know, with either CPCs or density, you know, auction density, that spend can get used up quickly, right? And you can spend faster than you were anticipating. So I think, you know, the ability to track things, not only retail media spend, but things like, you know, first party data segmentation performance, again, going back to the digital shelf metrics, but get ahead of these trends so that you can get a leg up on your competition. You know, innovation cycles are huge. The consumer feedback, you know, be it reviews or UGC. And then, you know, another big one is probably supply chain, right? Supply chain in, in all companies or a lot of companies has been used to full truckloads to a few locations mm-hmm. with the same products on the pallets, you know, shrink wrapped. Now we have to pivot to small parcel LTLs, you know, to multiple locations and more often, right? Because uh, everyone wants everything same day or, you know, two days is too slow now. So how, how do you get your supply chain there? You know, making sure that you're keeping up on sustainability and DEI opportunities, but it comes back to decision-making. All these things come back to decision-making, and this will really, really be a key differentiator, you know, who wins and who struggles. I think when you think about information, you know, it's been a situation where 
you know, it's been more people in con- like controllers of information, which controlled mm. the pace of how that information was shared or learned. Not anymore, right? It's about creators and curators of information, and they're more prominent. So how do we get everyone feeling comfortable from controllers, you know, controllers, creators, curators, to make sure that that change is something productive and that we all adapt to? I think that's really interesting. And I particularly like what you said about how the nature of information sharing and the nature of information on this has changed. How do you keep up to speed with what is happening in the sector? Because as you said, there is so much happening. There's so much you potentially need to be paying attention to. How do you handle that personally? And then how do you approach that for your team? How do you make sure they have the skills they need, but they're also getting the information they need without being drowned in lots of stuff every day. Yeah, I've, um, you know, when I think about my screen time, right? Not, it's not with my kids, <laughs> uh, but I, I kind of tie in even my, my Simple Mills days where it was like nutrient dense foods versus, you know, calorie, you know, calorie deficient foods. And I, I think you can take that kind of mindset to your screen time. I won't pick on any of the, what would be kind of, kind of calorie deficient, right? Or calorie wasters. <laughs> Um, but I think we all can kind of guess what those are. But what what are more the nutrient dense educational content, right? Well, it's podcasts like the Digital Shelf Cast, right? It's connecting with thought leaders on LinkedIn. I mean, people. It's a great thing about e-commerce and digital. Uh, you know, people across all companies. We like to share information, right? Again, it's not about controllers. It's about sharing it. You know, creating it and curating it. You know, it's very much been virtual lately. But you know, attending or listening to on-demand webinars. You know, like First Mover does great ones. I think it's key that curation, like get industry daily emails sent to you so you don't have to go find mm-hmm. it necessarily. You know, one I like is, is stratably.com. You know, reading blogs, eFundamentals has a great one. You know, talking with peers in the industry at share groups like a CMS or a BWG. So I think those are ways I kind of keep up. And you know what? The algorithm, like when I go to Google now, just my default it has articles that are more helpful to me, right? Because it knows mm. that I'm looking for different topics. And and I think you have to vary it too. Just don't go to what you know, go to what you don't know, right? Oh, totally, yeah. And you know, make sure you have a balance of that, but also don't have that, you know, expertitis necessarily. Even if it's a topic you think you know everything about, go listen to a webinar. Maybe there's something you didn't know that uh, can, you know, has evolved, right? So I think that's, you know, one way I do it. When you think about now, how do you disseminate this to the organization? You know, one is, you know, really doing a good job of kind of defining and aligning things. And, and that can be up for, for debate sometimes, right? Something like, you know, how do we look at social commerce right now? So it, should your social media feed be part of your digital shelf? Don't have the answer, but it, it's something you mm. need to kind of, you know, build that muscle of thinking about scenarios. I think the, you know, like, there's event education, uh, which is more your, you know, internally like modulars and, and long form training, which is great for collaboration. You know, it's great for Q&A and kind of big picture topics, but you have to have a balance of like everyday engagement as well, right? Bring it to life for people. I- ensure the application of the learnings from that event education. Otherwise it's, you know, it's like going to your financial planner once a year. If you're not doing the day trading yourself, you may not learn it as much. And I think, you know, talk about different ways of people learning, you know, provide those learning resources internally with things like your Slack channels, right? Create channels around Mm. topics, have fun with gamified quizzes or contest, right? You know, there's a lot of services out there that have like 30 minute or less lessons, you know, like providers like a Circus Street or LinkedIn Learning or TED Talks, right? These are all 
like just kind of building, like it's that digital treadmill, right? Stay on, keep moving. But I think, you know, faster learning is going to be the separator of successful brands versus those that, you know, kind of slowly lose relevance in sales and maybe don't even realize it till it's too late. Now, I did also say in the intro that digital transformation is an area that's prone to some misconceptions and missteps as well. And you've already touched on the importance of smart failures. What are some of the common mistakes that you see CPGs make when they're trying to become more digitally led? And how does that idea of failing smartly factor into it? Yeah, this is tough work, right? And mm. and, and there, there's a lot of different mistakes and pitfalls or blind spots. I'll kind of you know go through a couple of them. But I think you know, one is you know not overcoming or not realizing that people are resistant to any type of change. You know, typically, right? This isn't just a digital focus. Change is hard for a lot of people. So how do you really connect with those people that are either are usually either risk adverse, that you know, and that's their motivation, or reward motivated, right? Rewards won't it won't influence the risk adverse, right? And, and vice versa. Mm. So how do you really like, you know, demonstrate a team effort, but a specific their specific role in the process, right? So really support your people. I think I think that's one. I think another one is just kind of the lack of prioritization, right? You cannot do everything at once. And sometimes you feel like you want to, right? Uh, if you're in charge of a digital transformation. But if you do that, you're going to overwhelm people. And, and again, that especially if they're resistant to change, let's say it's not going to be easy to bring them along. Um, they won't, they'll just, you know, it just be too much. I think another one is, you know, kind of not understanding. It's not only what you need to do, but it's what you need to stop doing sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that can maybe be like around external partners that have been great in the past or are great at things still like around traditional media. But maybe they might not have the skill sets in areas like retail media or around search or influencers, right? And especially like with live streaming, I think we're all trying to figure that one out. But if you kind of have this like blanket mentality that, oh, well, they've done this in the past for us. They'll be great at this moving forward. Some are, but some are not. And if you don't figure that out, that costs organizations time, money, and you're, and then you're behind the curve, right? So how do you do a better job of just kind of pressure testing and maybe then finding partners that have specific skill sets to complement your current partner partners that may not be at the level that you need? I just think... You know, you, you got to be a good partner also with your retailers. And I think when you, when as a brand, you come in either with a cookie cutter approach of what omni-channel should be, because right, all the retailers kind of have different ways of doing it too, right? Even their retail media platforms, while there's some similarities, there's some differences to it. And do you know those nuances between the algorithm or if you're coming in with siloed plans, right? Only the sales team comes in or mm-hmm. the brand team is talking to someone else. If it's not holistic plans, that's going to impact that consumer experience. It needs to be in-store and online where the consumer is, but tailor it to each retailer's strengths. And then, you know, have some stretch goals on both sides for some test and learns, right? So I think those are, are some of the failures. When you, you know, talk about smart failures, though, I think it's fair to say, like, people learn more from failures than success, right? Maybe you don't admit <laughs> that, but, <laughs> but I think when you look back, it, that's, that's, that's the case. So if we can agree on that, I think smart failures, you know, have some of, you know, these type of elements. They're probably going to be data-driven, right, in their reasons for the test and learn. They're probably forward-looking versus trying old tactics in, like, new environments. I think, you know, smart failures 
going into it don't have just one outcome you're trying to prove. And the reason why that's important is you, you could bias your actions or maybe potentially like miss key learnings if you only have kind of one outcome you're thinking, right? I think smart failures like lead to either saving money and that can be by avoiding wasteful spending continuously, right? In a faster way. Uh, know on week one that you're wasting money on a targeted audience versus year one, right? Um, or, you know, and or I guess, you know, it leads to a different solution to the problem that was either known going in or unknown before the failure, right? So, and then, you know, smart failure means the same mistakes aren't repeated. You know, maybe that's obvious, but I, I think you don't want to have the same mistakes going on every time. But I think these smart failures are usually, you know, they're well-documented. They have the root cause of what caused the failure and they're shared broadly going back to how do you help other teams, especially in a global organization, you know, either, you know, how do you help them directly or indirectly with these learnings who are not, you know, maybe not repeating the same people making the smart, you know, the mistake per se or the smart failure, mm -hmm. but just going faster. And they don't have to be your own. This goes back to benchmarking, right? Keep a close eye on your competitors or even others in different industries, right? Learn from them. The consumer looks at this from a online experience. It doesn't matter if they're buying in your category. So I think about, you know, kind of that and not just looking at yourself, but look at others outside. And then I know this may be, you know, maybe uh, not, not intuitive, but celebrate smart failures. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> wait, what? But I think if you if you do that, right, and and, and show, you know, kind of the, the, the elongated, here's what the test was, here's the multiple outcomes, or here, you know, kind of, and what happened, what we learned from it, it will encourage others then to have more of a growth mindset and feel psychologically safe so that, you know, it's more progressive learning, right? So you're encouraging experimentation and rewarding it, you know, if it's a really good one, versus just kind of staying complacent and in my safe zone, right? So I think that that's celebrating of smart failure. We, we don't want to like, you know, Instagramize everything that, oh, everything looks perfect on that social feed. No, like, like celebrate successes, obviously, but celebrate some failures as well. And, you know, I just, you know, when you think about failures, like kind of to wrap this around, you know, just big picture, yeah, well, one example of a smart failure is probably the Amazon Dash button, right? Uh, because mm -hmm. it led, most likely, led to Alexa devices, which are much more successful than the Dash buttons were. And then what's a bad failure? Well, probably Blockbuster, you know, literally laughing at Netflix to acquire them at a really low cost. I think it was like 50 million or something. But, you know, and, and look what happened there. So because they had their legacy mindset that people weren't going to change, they didn't want convenience. Now we don't need you. So I think those are kind of examples of smart failure versus, you know, we'll call it not so smart failure. You've been in this space for quite some time now. What is the biggest mistake you have personally made around digital transformation and what lessons did you learn from it? <laughs> oh, fun one. <laughs> uh, just pu pu public admission here. Um, I, I will Putting say- you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, I, I will say like, as, you know, as I kind of think about this, it, it's going to be like kind of collective, right? At, at multiple companies I've been at, so not just necessarily in my current role. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think one mistake is Assuming everyone reads your emails and articles, right? Um, that uh, and that maybe not be just for digital, but okay, that, that's fine. That's again, you have to adapt to your audience. So, so what was my learning from that? And um, you know, one is you know, kind of provide like a TLDR summary, right? Too long, didn't mm -hmm. read. That's perfectly fine, but put a summary at the top, couple sentences, right? So the, those that just want the headline, they got it, but they get the key point. 
But then if you... And been, you were doing that in internally to kind correct. of make sure that people were... Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would do, because, you know, I, it was, it's a balance, right? Mo, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, the email was too long. And then others were like, I love all your content. Please share more, right? It was like, well, how do I do this? I can't segment my own internal organization on this. So... Um, you know, so when when I've what I've kind of adapted to is you know kind of this you know either key summary or TLDR you know whatever it may be, but have the headline, have kind of the teaser, and then you literally have underneath that for those that want to learn more, right? And it's fine if you don't or you don't have time. But I think when you you know talk about personalization internally as well, if you just fling an article out there with a link, right? Well, how does that impact me? How does it impact the organization? So can you can you spell that out for people so they know this is how it helps you or our organization? Right. If it's a video, put key time frames, right? Hey, at the 10 minute mark, they talk about this. The 15 minute mark, they talk about this. So maybe you'll get, even if they watch two minutes of a 60 minute video, fine. It's better than nothing, right? I, you know, go back to the gamification, you know, make it fun, those Slack or Yammer channels, you know, going back to the repeat the messages often. So I think that's, that's one. And now oddly, you made me think of another one. I, I think it's it, going back to that, you know, bringing on too many digital tools at one time, right? Without enough, mm -hmm. like kind of like support or usage, you know, measurements. So I think what I've learned is, you know, it, it's, yes, it's a huge win. It's a huge hurdle to get new tools on board, right? And get the organization to approve them, to pay for them and, and to help onboard them. But you really have to think about, okay, what happens after now it's now it's live on, on, on site, right? Or internally, you have to have clear training programs, but not only just, again, not only just an event to train people, but how do you get people like to use it early and often? So they get, they use it in their daily activities. It has to become habit, right? And then in a positive way, you know, how are you measuring who's using it? Like, so you now you can kind of evaluate, well, which tools are resonating with which people, right? Or how many people and sharing again, sharing the impact of the tools. So when it comes to renewal time, it may be a little bit easier story for finance of mm -hmm. this is how many people are using it. This is what they're using it for. And this is how it helped us. I, I just think, you know, brands really though, with their partners, you know, whether it's a SaaS tool or whatever it may be, you really need to collaborate. It needs to be a learning on both sides and have open lines of communication. So there's really constructive feedback, right? Help them, your SaaS partner, let's say, with some ideas for their roadmap. Or if you have a great line of communication, they may offer you a, a no or low cost beta test, right? If you're gonna give them great feedback. So, you know, you wanna trust and verify also like kind of the KPI reports from people, uh, you know, from your partners you know, make sure you know what you're benchmarking, but also maybe what you're not benchmarking. And that's where the learning comes in. But I think that partnership with your external partners is just so critical and, and it helps internal adoption as well. And one of the messages that's really coming through loud and clear for me, which I think is so important, is that, you know, you are super passionate about this. Here on the Digital Shelf, because we're super passionate about this, we are already interested in digital transformation. It's sometimes quite difficult to see that it might not be as much of a passion point or as much of an interest for other people. And we need to work to bring people into that journey. And so that point that you made about, you know, tailoring towards, you know, for your specific audience and for where they are in their understanding and, and their interest in, in digital, I think is, uh, is super interesting and, and super important. You have touched 
at various points on some of the challenges that are in the market at the moment, just the wider industry. You know, the past couple of years have been enormously challenging because of COVID. 2022 is already shaping up to be another very challenging year. How do you think CPG organizations can make sure they stay focused on digital transformation? They keep making progress. They don't lose that appetite for taking a few risks and failing smartly at a time when everyone's worried about supply chain and soaring inflation as well. Yeah, I mean, another tough situation and everyone's busy, right? And no one's going to tell mm-hmm. you, oh, I have a lot of time to learn this. Let's schedule three days to teach or, or to embrace this. Um, so so yeah, how, how do you address that? It's you know, It's got to be both a top-down and bottoms-up approach, right? So you kind of meet in the middle. Uh, and, and looking at it from a top-down perspective, you know, hopefully or ideally, companies have a digital seat at the table per se in the C-suite, right? You know, at Colgate, we are lucky to have Brigitte King, who is our chief digital officer. She just presented at Cagney uh, for Colgate, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the past uh, podcast guests, you know, the CPG guys in their fresh four weekly update. But they they recognize, and we were appreciative of it that Colgate was the only company to have a CDO present at Cagney, which is a great honor, but it's also kind of surprising as important as digital is of the you know 20 plus other companies that a CDO was not uh, not there. So I think that's one part is is having that seat at the table per se. Uh, And it does help. I mean, there is a a Kantar study out there that shows digitally leading brands that have support from the board, from the C-suite, you perform much better than the ones that don't. I think now getting like to those specific ones, you know, kind of the different challenges is, well, this, if you're doing it right, you know, ideally you are again, digital at the core, right? You're showing the benefits of digital transformation to help with, with efficiencies in both cost and time, you know, which can contribute to the, you know, mitigating the supply chain and inflation cost. I just think, you know, how do you make that specific for people? So the supply chain team might say, I'm too busy. I have so many things going on, right? Oh my goodness. Mm. But how do you show that maybe more automated forecasting can help, right? Better predict demand. How can you show that you can reduce chargebacks or OTIF, you know, on time in full fines with more of an automated digital approach? I think from like a pricing standpoint, you know, can you show how pricing tracking software you know, can quickly find like outliers or issues or opportunities to help battle, you know, some of the inflation or from the consumer perspective, you know, automation also can help in assessing like reviews, right. And, and putting Mm -hmm. a handle on this more quickly so that you can optimize your PDPs for better conversion. You can find potentially some innovation opportunities in the category and that all leads to revenue, right. Which will make everyone happy. So I think then also like if you have a global team or a center of excellence, make sure they are providing like big picture air support perspective per se and law and thought leadership uh, versus just providing like an already talented local teams, you know, with materials they know already. Right. So if you make it more in essence, personalized, right. Just like we're doing with consumers connect mm-hmm. the dots, like we've talked about, it's always still going to be a challenge, right? Time is always the thing that people uh, don't have, but if you can show how you can save people time, I think in life, you're going to be listened to a little bit more. I think that sounds about right. (laughs) Now, Todd, we're nearly out of time. But as you know, we like to finish our episodes by asking our guests to give their one essential piece of advice on their area of expertise. And we'll call this your hashtag 20 second smarts. So what is your one essential piece of advice about how to achieve a successful digital transformation? Yeah. The last time I was on, I talked about kind of ADA compliance in your websites and mm-hmm. helping people there. 
I think just overall advice right now would be find ways to help people and not only necessarily, you know, to the point of digital transformation and education there, you know, but with everything going on, how can you lift spirits and be supportive, right? It's been so challenging the last couple of years and, and this year doesn't look much easier. So how can you just kind of help others get through this together? So, you know, what does that look like? It can be a verbal compliment, something as simple as that, a note of appreciation that's unexpected, you know, donating of time, food, money, you know, installing life lessons like fire safety with your kids that make make everyone feel better, you know, helping your elders, uh, whether it's family or friend. And then I think, you know, just seeing things from other people's point of view to truly understand their needs, right? Or just be a positive influence, you know, to help build a future to smile about. Just find ways of to make a positive impact. And, and that can relate to digital transformation, kind of the original. But I, I think right now we all we all need ways uh, and would all love support from random friends and family, who, coworkers, whatever it may be, to, to help us all get through you know tough times together. I think that's a fantastic way to end the episode. Todd, it's so good to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for a great conversation. Thank you. I love this, Julia. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast from eFundamentals. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got some useful tips for how to navigate your brand's success on the digital shelf. If you're facing a particular challenge online, or you want to learn more about how to leverage digital shelf analytics to drive e-commerce growth at speed and scale, then why not book a free consultation with the eFundamentals team? Simply visit www.efundamentals.com forward slash podcast and book your free consultation. You'll also find the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd also appreciate it if you could give us a rating and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.